Hello, everyone. Today, I have a very special guest who matched into dermatology. I have multiple students who have reached out to me before to talk about someone who matched in dermatology in the US. And as you know, dermatology is one of the most competitive specialties to get into, especially as an international medical graduate. Today, Rakan Radi will share his experience matching in dermatology and talk, tell us all these secrets on how to get in. Welcome, Rakan, to the channel. Uh, thank you for having me today. I would like to start by asking you about your experience. Can you share with us where you're from, the general uh, experience you went through from your step exams, did you do any research experiences? And then I'll go and ask you about the details of each of these. All righty. Um, so here is the thing, like I'm gonna say what happened with me, but with, among speaking with the other IMGs who matched into there, um, I realized that each one of us had their own individual experience. So there is no secret formula to how to do it. And the most important thing is that there is no guarantees. Like just because you did the right things, that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to work. And just because you didn't do all the right things, that also doesn't mean that it doesn't going to work. So um, like I'm going to say my story, but you need to keep in mind that there is a lot of investment into it. There is some a little bit of gambling and there are no guarantees. So I appreciate like if someone is hearing, listening to this video now, it's uh, like it's evident that they are at least interesting in dermatology or any or some other competitive specialty, but they should take everything with a grain of salt and like just not take it as a Bible or as a holy book that they should stick to because everyone has their own experience. But there are some uh, basics, I think, or some pillars that some applicants or most applicants share. And so I'm gonna say my story in general, and I will focus on the main stuff that I think that are like a pillar for the application. Um, so my name is Rakan. I was born and raised in Amman, Jordan. I am a Jordanian citizen. I do not have a green card or any other nationality. Um, I went to med school at the University of Jordan. So during my basic years, I really focused on understanding the principles rather than uh, having the, the college score as my biggest aim. But um, like still, like understanding the course helped in getting in doing well in college, but not necessarily as well as some people would hope to get in college. But I just cared more about the knowledge rather than the score at the time. Um, while I was rotating during clinical years, I rotated in the dermatology department in our in my college, and I really liked the specialty. It really grew in me. I remember doing really well in the OSCE, and I thought that I found my calling in it. I was like, okay, this is it. I want to do this. And then many people was kind of discouraging for an international graduate to go there, and it wasn't coming out of hate or out of envy or anything. Like, I think that it was coming out of a very good place that they didn't want me to waste my, like, to have false hopes about something that's somewhat hard to reach. But I was not easily put down. Like, I took their advice in consideration. Um, I tried to put a big scheme on how things should go. Um, and I thought that in the... Like I googled how people usually match into dermatology and I read how they do all these away rotations and they do research and some of them have a homeschool program in the US. 
And I was like, okay, like all of these seems important, but there aren't something that I can control now or have control on. But um, I think that I had control on was preparation for step for my steps for the US Emily's. So I started studying really hard for them. I put a lot of dedication into them. Um, I kept it emphasizing on understanding the concepts. That's one thing that people still don't really get about the steps, that it's not about memorizing, it's not about the guidelines. Even for the CK with all these diseases that you think you may wanna uh, memorize all these categories or all these guidelines, actually a lot of them just make sense if you have the concept for it. So I was more focused on the concepts and the general understanding of stuff. And although it also needs to be supplemented by memorization. Like some stuff you can't help but to memorize. Or I'd like I try to memorize the building stones and then I would build on them and just try to connect and stuff. And then I sat for my step one and I got a score of 277, which was at a hundredth percentile. Um, it was a really nice thing that I was, it was a nice achievement in a sense that I was grateful for, but I knew that it wasn't enough for me to get into them. And step one wasn't my, like doing well in step one wasn't my goal per se, but it was a tool for me to, to achieve my bigger goal, which is to match into dermatology. Um, after getting done with step one, I, I just was focused on get, doing well on step two and ended up getting a, at another 270 plus. Um, at the time, like I was grateful for these achievements, but I wasn't like, I could have applied for the match at that year, but I didn't want to because I knew there was something missing in the formula. So I reached out to almost 800 faculty members in the US over email, Twitter, Facebook, you name it. I just reached out to as every single person I could reach out to and put an effort trying to find their email, even if it's not on the school's website. So um, subsequently I interviewed with, with many research uh, mentors and I ended up joining the Arbizer lab, which is led by Dr. Jack Arbizer at Emory University. Um, and at that time, it was the COVID uh, peak. So it took a while for my paperwork to get done. But eventually, it worked out. Um, so I joined the lab. Uh, during my lab experience, I didn't like I worked really hard in the lab and tried to do my best in it, but I also worked in other projects in the department and I applied to the match with my letters of recommendation from the dermatology department there. And uh, Alhamdulillah, thankfully I matched uh, this at the same year of my research year. Awesome. I have so many questions to ask about this, but this <laughs> very uh, impressive experience that you went through. I liked one point that you mentioned is that despite you having 277 and uh, 270 plus on step one and step two CK, you still thought that this is not enough because this is, I feel a mistake that so many IMGs make is that once they score so high, they think that they are, that's it. They scored high, that's enough to match. And that's definitely wrong because I've seen applicants with super high scores 
and they think that scores are the, are the only thing and they didn't match because they're not. And some applicants with much lower scores and they have a more comprehensive holistic application and that got them in. So I really commend you on the this insight early on in your journey that you knew that scores are not the only formula. So that was really impressive from you. How many years of research did you do? Um, I did exactly a year of research and I applied it after four or five months of my research onset and I matched while I was doing my research here. I see. And did you match at the same place that you did your research at? Yeah, I did match at Emory University for my dermatology program. And this is something we usually see for IMGs who do research. They do research at big academic institutions. They do amazing work and they end up matching at the same institution. It doesn't mean that you necessarily will match at the same institution, but if you wanted to, and if you were really good, they usually take you. But some students who don't do a good job or they don't work hard, definitely they're not going to match there because it's not like I'm just going to go and uh, walk in the park and do research and I'm going to match. It's a collection of things, your personality, your, your research skills, your hard work that will get you into the position. Now let's talk about some aspects of your journey. So after you did your, uh, you graduated from medical school in Jordan, did you do any residency in Jordan or you came right away here? Um, I came right away to the U.S. because most of the residency programs in Jordan are somewhat um, restricting or it binds you to a certain commitment or to have a penalty fee if you bail on them halfway through. So I didn't want to commit to them. And I knew that like to boost my chances into getting into them, it's not about uh, like doing residency here would not necessarily help. Although I saw people who did and finished their residencies, whether in dermatology or other fields uh, in their home country, it was like a plus for them to match into whatever they want in the, in the U.S. Um, I think that you just mentioned a bit ago is that the holistic review of applicants is becoming more of a thing. Um, scores enough are... Like a score is a good boost. Don't get me wrong. Like if someone is they, they had a really good score watching this channel, then good for them. And I know it's not easy to do that. And you should feel proud uh, for your achievement. But at the same time, you shouldn't be too, what's the word? Like too... Maybe arrogant. I feel that... Too I feel arrogant about it. Yeah, I that's the word. People... Whenever they get a, a great score, they're like a peacock with like a huge on their head that that's I'm, one I'm like the plus 260. Everyone will be looking at me. No, it's not like that's that. That's one way to put it. And so here is the thing is that when you do, and just the way that you said that when you do a research here, it doesn't guarantee that that place is going to match you in them or that any other place would in fact match you in them. Um Actually, when you have a year of research, it's technically a year-long interview where you need for an entire year to be um, on your best uh, behavior and attitude. Uh, we'll come to that in a bit and how to make the most out of the research year and stuff. But um, so, yeah, as you said, there are no guarantees and the attitude of just being humble and eager to learn and stuff because like step one or doing well in step one or step two it doesn't mean that you know everything and 
like Adri assure you that most of the stuff that we learn in step one and step two, they're more like they would be applied into most of your future fields, but there is still a lot more to learn. Whether exactly. it's how to see in my first year and uh, 90% or more of what I learned in step one is doesn't help. Like it's just we will never use this, like especially in surgery. So uh, another point that you mentioned that I liked is the idea of residency before you come in. I get asked about this a lot. And in my opinion, and I want to ask you about that as well. It's not that helpful if you do your residency in your home country and come. Because imagine the, the number of years. Definitely someone with residency might have more experience than someone without residency. But we're talking about three, four more years that you can invest in the U.S. to increase your chances. So in my opinion, if somebody invested these three years in research in, in the U.S. or two years in research in the U.S., rotations, things to do in the U.S., I think it would help them more than if they just do residency in their home country. I agree with you on that point. And I think it really varies, depends on the priorities of each person, their perspective, their perception of stuff. Um, in my opinion, I agree with you that doing research or away rotations or whatever in the U.S., even if residency of a different, in a different field in the U.S., may hold more value than doing your own residency at home in the same field. Because like the whole uh, point of doing residency is for them to train you to become a good physician. So if you're already trained, then what's the point? Exactly. And I feel that sometimes residencies prefer someone who's in their first few years, because generally as you progress in residency, you start becoming a, a boss. You like have a team under you. And now they might have a problem with you becoming a PGY1 again, taking orders from everyone above you while you know much more than them. So that might also be a discussion that the interview committee might have about you. Uh, let's talk about the step exams very, very briefly now. So step one is not score anymore. So we're not going to dive into the details of the studying of step one. But I feel that some of the strategies I'm sure you use for step one might apply to step two to get a good score and definitely the understanding of the concepts of step one will help you get to get a greater score on step two. Can you give us some advice, some tips on how, to, how do we choose the resources? How do we uh, study some tips to optimize effect, uh, efficiency? Because we don't want to stay four years studying for an exam and also get a good score. Good question. So my the best advice i can give you in that regard is that the best way to do well in step two is to study well for step one because the knowledge is cumulative and many of the principles just like cross between the two tests um step two i think your word is the cornerstone for it and i think it's a very good uh, uh, resource to study from but it's not just about studying it or doing the questions. You need to have more st like strategic way to deal with them. And uh, like, because at the end of the day, most people studies the same resources. So it's not about what resource to use. It's about how you use it. Um, and I think like the best way to do well in step two is to study for step one as if it's still scored and prepare for it really well. Yeah, I agree with you. I think the mistake that most IMGs make whenever they prepare for the exams is getting overwhelmed with resources. You don't see your students struggling to study with like from 50 books because most the school prepared prepares them to understand the concepts, 
and then they go through rapid review process and boom, they go, go for the exam. On the other hand, IMGs, because they have a different system, they want to learn from books and stuff. So I feel that they, they study from so many resources while only a few can help them get a great score. And the way you studied, as you said, understanding, not memorizing. And I have multiple videos that I will share in the cards and in the link that people can watch about my experience, about mistakes that you should avoid when studying for, for step one and step two to get a great score. So actually, I did three months of elective while I was a student. Um, they were in gastroenterology and cardiology because it was a bit hard to find an elective in dermatology. Um, so I just wanted to go there to get the cultural experience, to learn more about how the system works, how to um, like how to work like to work better on my communication skills. And I did my step two CS clinical skills while I was doing my electives. Um, I think that preparing for the clinical skills, step two CS, it was really helpful with making me out stand, stand out in my, uh, um, in my electives. And it also carried the communication skills for me to do well in the communication part for step one and step two and also do well and leave a good impression throughout my research here. I think that one thing IMGs can really work on is their communication skills, to be more familiar with the U.S. culture and the U.S. patient population. And I think electives, even if it's not in the field that you aspire to continue residency in, if that was the only option or the only opportunity that you have at the time, I think that you should take it because like in electives, we, you, you would learn a lot of stuff in a cultural aspect rather than an academic one. And um, from my electives, I got few letters of recommendations that I used to get my research position. I didn't use them for the match, but they helped me to get there in a sense. Great, great point. I, I always get asked about this question, doing research in a different field, doing electives in a different field. In my opinion, definitely do it in the field that you are in if you can get them. But if you can get, there's like no place that accepted you uh, for derm. If you're looking for them, search more. And if there is none, do something else. As Rakan said, it's about the experience. There is so many things you can learn, especially actually if you do the first one, not in dermatology, because you're just new to the system. So you might make mistakes that you don't want the dermatology people to see. So you would be experimenting in a different field, learning the experience. And once you start your derm rotations or your derm research, you'd be well prepared. And the other idea is this, how you used your letters from the IM rotations to get a research. And then you didn't use them in the match because you don't want to use IM letters for, for a derm match, but it kind of got you to a step. And then you have now new letters, more, uh, more things related to the specialty that you used for the math. So that was a great point. And as I said, try to get them in the specialty you're applying to. Try to uh, do electives because they're better than observership. But if you can, observerships are another option. So here is the thing. Uh, like emphasizing your point, many international graduates have this uh, notion that doing research as a plan B without really realizing how competitive getting a research position is to begin with. Um, especially in competitive specialties, many US uh, students with outstanding scores still do a research year or two, um, even before trying to apply for the match. 
just because they're interested in the topic, just to boost their chances in a certain place, whatever the reason is. So even getting into research, it's you should put a lot of work to get into it. I applied for almost 800, reached out for 800 people for me to land a spot that I felt comfortable with taking. So don't think of research as a plan B or as a backup, like plan B, which is a backup plan, but um, like it's something that it needs a lot of effort. It does. And I have a detailed research webinar over three hours of uh, videos, a course that I recorded and we do every three, four months, uh, a live version of that. And I'll leave uh, the link for that in the cards above and in the description below to explain to people how to find research positions, because I see that some people just send random emails to everyone and they, they wonder why they didn't get a response. They don't individualize the email. They don't search for the right people. Sometimes you see people emailing physicians who don't do research, asking them to join their research lab. I was like, dude, these people don't do research. So did you check their research before? So that webinar will help people understand the details on how to find research positions. And it's also a lot of work. It's not going to happen from the first email you send because unfortunately for research, there is no match process like the residency where you apply at the same time, you match at the same time. Positions open all the time in, for research and you might be applying the next day after somebody filled the position or the day before somebody uh, leaves the position. So it's kind of random, but you, if you follow a certain strategy, it will make it more efficient and waste less of your time. And the other thing is that research is important. I feel that these undervalued research. Even if you're applying for IM, I feel that for competitive programs, it's as hard as matching into competitive specialty. If you want to match into Johns Hopkins or MGH or UCSF, there are IMGs matching into these programs. Don't say, oh, these are programs that will never take an IMG. If you're a good IMG, you have a shot even in these good programs. Not all IMGs are equal. Like not all US applicants are equal. Applicants who are superstars, some US applicants who are not. And the same with IMGs. You might find applicants who are phenomenal and match at the top programs in the country and the same IMGs who don't. So in my opinion, if you think that you are a really good applicant, I think research is a way to show, uh, do like a whole year uh, rotations for free or you get paid instead of paying thousands of dollars for electives. So, yeah. So here is a thing about competitive specialities in, in general is that you need to show a lot of commitment to them and the way to do commitment is by doing an away rotations at in that field and doing research years slash years in that field and just to keep applying to them till it works out for you like luckily for me i didn't i only applied once and it worked but i know many people who would match from the second or third time they do but also at the same time you need to be wise about it like if you're not changing anything substantial between the rounds of your application, then like if you're not changing the inputs, the outcome wouldn't change substantially. So I think it needs some sort of wisdom to know how much effort you should put in it. Um, you should know how, like the, if you have any other commitments, um, whether you are... Uh, like each, each person has their own uh, conditions and circumstances. So I think it should be studied on an individual basis on how much you can put into it, um, whether it's your physical well-being, your mental well-being, other conditions and stuff. 
Um, so it needs persistence, it needs commitment, but at the same time, that doesn't guarantee anything. So it's like, I don't want someone four years from now text emailing me saying that they did three years of research in their methodology and it didn't work out for them. And they're blaming me because I said that was the magic formula. So here's the thing, like, there's no guarantees, no research mentor would guarantee you matching you into their program. Um, there are just no guarantees, you know, before you get that email that you matched, there are no guarantees. And it's an emotional roller coaster because sometimes something good happens and you say like, oh, okay, this is a positive indicator and you'd be over the moon for a day. And then something slightly inconvenient happens and you'd be like, ah, oh, I blew it and I lost all these years and efforts and money for nothing. So it's, so it's just like, so it, is, it needs a lot of luck in a sense. But the way I define luck, it's actually a code that I really like. It's when preparation meets opportunity. So what you can do about it is to prepare really well for when the opportunity introduces itself and to try to create an opportunity where, if possible. But at the same time, like you need to be somewhat realistic about it. And I try to be real. I was realistic about it with my own self before being so with other people who reached out to me. Um, that it's a high risk, high reward, as people say, and it's up to you and only you to decide if it's worth it to go for it or not. Because at the end of the day, it's your own success or it's your own inconvenience if it didn't work out. Yeah. Um, another thing to stress about, I want to kind of correct this concept that if you match, then you're successful. If you don't match, then you're a loser. This is a very bad and toxic mentality. I know that not matching is not the best thing in the world and it kind of sucks. I can't imagine how I'd be if I didn't match. But like there is so much into the match, so much unpredictable stuff that plays into it. So like if you match, then good for you. But if you didn't match, like it's too variable for you to have control on every single thing of it. So like just cut yourself some slack try to reflect of why you didn't match into whatever field you want to match in and try to do something different about it. Um, one thing different that one of my colleagues did is that they just changed the tone of their personal statement. And I just give them a few pointers on how to make it, like just make it a bit nicer or a bit more uh, qualified for the interview, for the match process. So like you need to change something in your application for stuff to work out the next time if the first time doesn't work. And it's, it's like it's your own call whether you want to take it or not. Yes, I always advise people first, there is no always and never. I sometimes use always and never and then I tell them, no, there is no always and never. So there is no zero chance of matching, no 100%. Any mentor who promises you 100% chances of matching, that's also not realistic. If somebody is realistic and honest with you. They tell you we'll do our best, but there is no guarantee. Nobody can guarantee you anything. So you, you have to be willing to take the risk. You know, some as in anything in life, some things are high risk, high uh, reward. Sometimes are low risk, low reward. So you have to, to believe in yourself first. Know if this is something you want to do. 
like you want do you want to take that risk in return for this working or not have always plans b have always like another plan in case this didn't work what am i going to do this is not being uh, not optimistic about the goal but being realistic and having a clear plan and honestly me myself Rakan, i was asked during my interviews what is your plan b i get 24 plastic surgery interviews from top programs i didn't feel like oh i don't have plan b because i have 24 plastic surgery interviews i told them the plan b was maybe do more research maybe apply next year maybe do another surgical specialties for some time a prelim year so yeah i also had plans b everyone should have a plan b even the top top applicants so sure. it's it it could work it could not but you have to make an individualized advice that's why we have these residency advising sessions when i talk one on one with people i see their overall chance and don't i don't give them a percentage of matching but say this is like probably the best chance to do this this is probably a way but again there's no guarantee each applicant is totally different than the other it's like somebody has super high scores maybe with a few months of research it can work maybe somebody else with lower scores they need more maybe if they do five years of research it doesn't work like i've seen applicants who did three years of research and didn't work with them they did prelim year one prelim year two but i can tell you at the end honestly i feel in the u.s if you're determined to do something usually it works usually if you like really good and you're smart and you're like giving the effort and the time generally it works not always but generally <laughs> true no I guarantees feel and... people see that i feel people see the effort that you're putting if but if you're someone who's doing wrong things and maybe personality issues maybe cultural issues that it's not working with the people even if you have like 200s on your on your steps it's not gonna work I agree with you. Like, there are no guarantees. It's always good to have plan B and think about everything strategically. Um, I know, like, you can make your odds better by doing certain stuff, by dealing in certain behavior, by having a certain attitude. All these stuff just increase your odds, but nothing is guaranteed. And it's always a really good idea to have a plan B. Even if you're going to... Uh, less competitive specialty, it's a good idea to have a plan B so that if the match day came and it didn't work out the way you wanted it to be, you could accommodate accordingly and act fast. Because like there are just so many good applicants out there and it's just getting, like not to be a bit pessimistic or just to give bad vibes, but like it's just getting a bit, there's just so many good applicants out there. And you really need to make yourself stand out in a way or another and um, like, and hope for the best. Exactly. Now I want to talk briefly about your research. So what type of research did you do? How many publications did you have? What do you think of the value of publications, skills that you have that helped you ace the research time you did? So, okay. So I applied for both the clinical and basic research opportunities. Um, I applied for clinical research because I had a background in it in other fields other than dermatology. And also in, a few of them were in derm. And um, I've applied for the basic research because I've always been passionate about it in a sense. I was kind of curious about it since I was a little kid, but didn't have the opportunity to do it in my home country. So I ended up joining the Arbizer lab, which where it's more of a basic science kind of research. And it's bench-based uh, um, bench or just bench 
bench research, as they call it. Um, but even when I was in the lab, I reached out to other faculty members who are doing clinical work, and I worked on with them on certain projects to just make the most out of my time there. Um, basic research is really is a very nice experience. Um, it really enriches your knowledge. It makes you better appreciate all the uh, current uh, information that we have because it took a lot of hard work for them to be available for us and be tested as a fun fact on step one. Um, so it really sharpened my skills and appreciation for science in general. Um, uh, but as many people know that basic research sometimes take a while for it to get publications out of it. Although when I applied, I had a few publications from my lab, but still, uh, I think that if you're doing a basic research at an institution, it may not be a bad idea to reach out to other faculty members and try to tag along or start a study by yourself in a clinical subject that could get you a publication at a faster uh, rate. Um, the obsession about the number of publications, it's a bit unhealthy <laughs> um, because it doesn't, like some research, like all, all research is good and valuable and has some value, but they're not all as valuable. Um, like having a case report, one or two out of them, it's, it looks nice, it wouldn't hurt, but if, it doesn't make sense for you to make like 20 case reports and just think that, oh, I have 20 publications. Because like there is a pyramid where uh, that classifies the strength and the importance of each study, where they have, it's out there. You can Google it. Um, uh, so, and case reports kind of are at the base of the pyramid, so they came kind of at the, um, at the at the bottom of the ladder in a sense, but still they have some value. If it's the only thing that you can do, do it. If while doing your basic year or clinical year of in research, you found a very interesting case report, then write it and enrich and pay back to the science and stuff, like enrich the literature with it. But like just don't do it just for the sake of obsession on, uh, on uh, just have a higher number of publications on your CV. Um, besides, uh, I agree because I see I've seen so many applicants who are obsessed with numbers, and they publish all these letters to the editor and response to articles and communications and case reports. And if you actually look at the publication record, it's kind of empty. So, in my opinion, I feel the advice that you gave is uh, very reasonable to have a good balance of basic science, maybe clinical, maybe some a few case reports, few letters to the editor, some real studies, some. Because by the time you start your research, you have to, to, to understand that it takes time to publish. It's not going to happen overnight. There is no way you can publish a real big study in like a month or two. It takes so much time from the time you submit your paper until it gets published. And I have a detailed course on how to take a research project from the idea to publication, but it mainly discusses clinical research. So it doesn't cover basic science because basic science is like not a sea. It's an ocean of all these models and the different experiments. So the one that I have currently is clinical research. It covers everything from uh, case series to prospective studies, survey studies, how to write papers. I feel that course would help 
people who are studying clinical research learn a lot about research. And in that, I talk about some tips on how to be productive. And one of them is kind of reach out to people, build a good team. Um, if, you're, if you're doing basic science, understand that you'll be doing most of the time high impact stuff, but they might take years. You might do, you might do an experiment. You, you know that, okay? You might do an experiment for a year and boom, we did something wrong in the model and we have to do the whole thing again. And you might be in residency by that time. So funny thing is that I think that my mentor says is that doing science is like dating someone who doesn't like you. Um, many projects need to be repeated more than once for you to get any results. And there's a good chance that you won't get the results that you were looking for or hoping to get. It needs a lot of patience. It needs um, some sort of persistence, some troubleshooting skills, trying to figure out why stuff why there are no results showing to begin with. Um, so yeah, it's the, even for research, there is no magic formula as well. Exactly. That's why I kind of try to augment my basic research with the clinical research and the other way around. Because like some clinical research, some clinical papers that I was started working on, the time frame for them were like, let's say three, four months, but they end up taking God knows how long. And the other way around, like there are studies that we plan to, like we had a more generous time frame, but we ended up doing them quicker than we. That's also a topic in my in my course to have multiple projects going on because if one stops, you can continue with the other. If one is done, you can start with another one. So have multiple things at the same time that would be more productive. When you started your research, did you have your both exams done, or you did one of them during the research time? Um, I was done with both my step one, step two, and also step C, two CS before that. Okay. Um, so yeah, I was fully ICF, ECFMG certified by the time that's, I started. That's another, I think if somebody wants to go all in in research, it's better to have your exams done. It doesn't hurt if you have one that you're doing a long time in research, but your productivity would definitely be down because you would be your mind first is fully occupied with the re, with the exam, and second also your time. Final question for today is, how do you think these interview skills, the personal statement, the CV, all these factors play a role in your matching? Um, really good point. So as I said before, I'm more big picture oriented. And then I try to focus on each detail of the picture as it comes. So when it was the time for step one, I was fully dedicated to that. When it was time for step two, I was fully dedicated to that. And so was when it was time for me to, to choose which programs I want to apply for. Um, and then after applying, I needed to, like during the application process, I needed to, to master the skill of writing a very good personal statement. And then after I was done with that, there are also other aspects on ERAS, the, the platform where we submit our residency applications that you can also master as well, like how to write your work experience in a good way, how to write your volunteer experience in a good way. Um, and then when it was the time for the interviews, I was really focused on how to how to leave the best impression I could in such a short time, especially with uh, like in the past year, the interviews were virtual, which makes it a bit harder to build a rapport with someone over the screen. So I was like, I'm, I worked on uh, how to overcome that. And then you need to get the skills of patience while you wait for your uh, uh, the results of the match. 
And also, like, there is some skills of trying to figure out how you want to rank your list and so on. So, um, so the best way to do it, it's one thing at a time because it, I know it gets really overwhelming and you shouldn't be really worried about other aspects before you're even doing the stuff that leads to that point. Like there's no point on trying to cultivate your interview skills now and you didn't even sit for your step one. Um, so I would say just like worry about one thing at a time, focus about, on one thing at a time. Um, when it comes for the research here, as you said, it may be a good idea to have multiple projects going on, but you need to find a good balance where you don't overwhelm yourself with them. And that varies from one person to another. Um, so it's just like one thing at a time. It, it gets overwhelming. It gets, it's an emotional roller coaster, but if the luck where you're the preparation and the opportunity worked out for you, then it's going to be all worth it. And you're going to be really happy that you took the chance. But at the same time, there are no guarantees. You, you always need to do reality check every once in a while. Um, one of the good thing that I do throughout my research year and even during my electives, I kept asking for a feedback so that I would keep evolving as a person. Um, and just like to have a humble and positive attitude in general. And there is some sense of sincerity, you know, like you can't fake the attitude. You need to work on it to become a better one. And especially when you're doing a year of research or you're doing an away rotation for a month or so. So it's like, I think a good thing to be is for people to also work on their personal growth while they work on the match process because it would come through. Um, it should be important for you to keep in mind your mental health, your physical health. I work out almost daily or as much as I can during a week. When it's a more demanding week at work or in my studies, I would work out less. But if it's, if I had the luxury of time, at the, I'll try to make the time for it. That's the thing. Great, great. Um, that was uh, very insightful advice from you. I really, I totally agree with you to focus on one thing at a time because the process is overwhelming. If you're now listening to this, we're now in May, so this is a good time for you to start working on your personal statement. If you need any help with that, you can reach out to us. I'll leave the link for that in the description below. For then, after you get interviews, you start working on interview uh, skills, and I have multiple videos about that blog, and you can also do one-on-one -on -one sessions with us. So again, I want to thank you so much, Akan, for joining us and giving us your time and this extremely valuable insight about how to match in dermatology. Thank you so much for, for being on the channel. First, thank you for having me. And yep. if someone has a question, they can put it in the comment. I'll try to take a look at it. Awesome. Thank you so much, Akan. Sure. It's been talking to you. Likewise.